remain standing and hear the word of the Lord as written in Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who trust the Lord say, his love endures forever. In my anguish, I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me now? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. Isn't that a marvelous word about a God who loves us forever? Let's join hands and hearts together in prayer as we thank him. Lord, we do thank you for your unconditional and eternal love because our love is so often conditional, often selfish. We thank you, Father, that your love is total agape, totally concerned for our welfare, unconditional, unselfish, spontaneous, and everlasting. And may your Holy Spirit touch each of us with a new appreciation and understanding, understanding today of your love for each one of us. Remind us, God, that you do not love all of us, but that you love each one of us, separate, apart from everyone else in all the world. Help us to know you love each of us as though we were the only one to love. That's why we love you and praise you and thank you through Jesus Christ, our loving Lord, we pray. Amen. Be seated, please. I received, uh, had a conversation this week with a person who began the conversation with a question. The individual, under 40 years of age, uh, incidentally, said, um, is it wrong to take your own life? Is it wrong to commit suicide? I said, before I talk about that, let's talk about why you feel this way. What makes you feel that that's an answer to your problem? Individual said, well, I just feel like everything has come down on me. I had some plans and hopes and dreams, and they all crashed around me, and I just don't think there's any future. I said, you haven't even lived half your, half your life in all probability. God has given you. Give him a chance. Give him time to work all things together for good. All things are not good, but give him time to work everything together for good for those who love him. I said, do you love him? 
He said, yes, I didn't know until that God loved me, though, until I started coming to this church. I said, tell me about that. He said, I grew up in a church where they just gave us hellfire and brimstone every Sunday. He said, I never left there feeling good in my life. I left there feeling whipped, verbally, emotionally. Nobody ever did anything right. No one was ever good enough. He said, then when I would get home, most Sundays, I would be punished, spanked, paddled, because I hadn't listened in church. And the individual said, I'd go to my room and cry. And I would tell God how much I hated him for making Sundays. He said, I didn't know that God loved us until I started coming to this church. Now that may sound rare to you. I wish it was, I wish it was rare. But I have heard that numerous times. Ron Hill who just sang, our minister to single adults, Johnny White, a lot of people on this staff and in our council ministry will tell you the same thing, that people sitting here right now who grew up in an atmosphere like that, and we're here to say a word of testimony for God today. I'm going to give a testimony for God. I want to say a good word for God. I'm concerned about people ruining God's reputation by making him something, into something that's more akin to satanic than divine. The psalmist in Psalm 116, you have your Bible turned to it, beautiful, wonderful psalm. He begins with four words that are the key, of the, the key to life and the key to this whole psalm. He really puts in microcosm in those first four words, everything he's going to talk about in the verses and the words of this psalm. He says, I love the Lord. That's what Ron sang. That's what you sang. I love the Lord. That is the key to life. I love the Lord. I love the Lord because he first loved me. He first loved me. I heard that early. The person I talked with this week didn't hear it until later. You may be hearing it for the first time. God loves you even if you were the only person in all the world who had ever made a mistake, who ever sinned, who ever failed, Whoever felt like you had messed up in life, God loves you. And God proved it by giving his son Jesus. If you want to know how much God loves you, you look at Jesus. Jesus is the visible, verbal, incarnated truth of God's love. We never would have believed that God was love if Jesus had not come in person. We just would not have known it. We wouldn't have picked it up from nature. We wouldn't have picked it up from life. We would never have known it if God had not incarnated himself in a person and come to show us what love is like, how love lives, how love responds, how love acts, how love reacts. You see, it's, it is the nature of love to express itself. And God being essentially love, that's the basic nature of God, love. The Bible says God is love. That's not something he does, that's what he is. He is God the creator, but he's a loving creator. He is God the judge, but he is a loving judge. 
The essential, basic nature of God is love. That's what he intrinsically is. He is love. And it is the nature of love to express itself. That's natural. I imagine nearly everybody in this room today is wearing something that was the expression of somebody's love for you. I am. Uh, this tie that I got, have on here, beautiful tie, Martha picked that out and gave it to me because she loves me. And she's a good judge of picking out ties. Better judge of ties than she is of men. But nevertheless, that's what you, <laughs> what you get sometimes. Uh, she, don't you clap at that. I'd really... <laughs> was that Martha? <laughs> She's not feeling well today or she would, she would be here. I hope she wouldn't have clapped. Uh, she also gave me this tie tack. Had it made our 30th anniversary. She gave me this ring when we got married. She gave me this watch. My good friend James Avery gave me this ring. Uh, nearly everybody in this room is wearing something that's the gift of love, an expression of love. You may have bought something for yourself because you love yourself, and that's okay. Not only is it okay, it's, it's divine. God tells us to love one another as we love ourselves. So some people need to be as kind to themselves as they are to strangers. So you may give yourself the gift of love. For God gave us the very quality of love embodied and personified in Jesus and the psalmist says, I love the Lord. Why? Because the Lord loves us, and all the world loves a lover. And God is an agape lover. He loves us. And the psalmist declares, I love the Lord. That's the key to the beginning of life. You remember when Simon Peter denied the Lord, cursed him, said he never knew him, went back to the fishing boats because he was discouraged, joined the disciples there, and Jesus appeared on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They were out fishing, had been there all night. John 21 tells us all about it. And he called out to them, and Simon Peter then realized who it was, jumped overboard, swam ashore where Jesus had built a fire, cooking some fish, and they sat there. The rest of the disciples arrived with all the fish in the boat. And then in a few moments after they'd eaten for a while, Jesus looked at Simon Peter, and he asked him three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He didn't ask him if he was orthodox. He did not ask him about his conduct and his language. He did not talk to him about whether or not he was faithful or faithless. He asked him one all-encompassing question that transforms all of life. Do you love me? And he said three times, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And his life was changed by love, as yours will be, or is, and progressively being changed by his love. I love the Lord. Now why does he love the Lord? Here's how God expresses his love. I don't have time to dwell on all these. I wish we were in a class instead of here in this great big room where we could talk about it. Well, let's just look at this. It's just fantastic. He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. Now, that's a rather inadequate translation as really all English translations ultimately are. What it says is, he heard me, and then secondly, he listened to me, 
You can hear somebody but not listen to them. That happens a lot. There's even a great hymn about it, I believe. I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. Uh, you hear, but you don't listen. But more than that, it also says he inclines his ear to us. Now, when my children were small, and now with grandchildren, those that are old enough to have little secrets and want to talk to you privately, like Avery and Julia, and Megan's getting there quickly, Every now and then, they'll say, Bo, and I, tell, I can tell they want to say a word to just me. Don't want anybody else to hear. It's private business between us. And what do I do when Avery or Julia say, Bo, I want to tell you something? I kind of motion to you. What do you do? You do exactly what God does for you when you want to tell him something you don't want to tell anybody else in all the world. He inclines his ears. He leans down like a father, a loving father. He leans down like a loving grandfather to listen to your cry. I do not know how many times in all these years I have done that in the hospital room like some of you have with loved ones or friends. Too weak to speak, hardly more than a whisper. And I've leaned over and heard people say, when I'm gone, talk about the 23rd Psalm. Read Romans 8. Help my family. And what do you do when they, they want to talk? You incline your ear. Isn't that a magnificent picture of the great God of the universe? Who will hear and listen and lean over when we're too weak to do more than just whimper. I wouldn't love a God like that. That's the kind of God we're talking about. We're not talking about the kind of God that my friend grew up having presented to him in his youth. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. He was afraid. This person, this, this psalmist was afraid of death. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. You may be this morning feeling just almost overwhelmed and guffed by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save me. And then he gives a wonderful word of testimony. The Lord is gracious. Grace, yeah, G-R-A-C-E-O-U-S. Gracious. And righteous. He's good. He shoots straight with you. Our God is full of compassion, not judgment, not hatred, not venom, life, love. Our God is full of compassion. Would to God all of his people were. All of us who profess to be his followers, full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. King James says he preserveth the simple. I like that. I'm a pretty simple kind of person. You are. Most of us are. Parts of our lives that may be rather complex, but we, we have pretty simple needs. And the basic need that we have is a realization of God's love for us. And he's showing us here that he protects the simple-minded, the simple-hearted. 
when I was in great need, he saved me. Now I want you to listen to all of the things. I'm going to go back just a quick sum, summary of the words of what God does to show his love for you and for me. He hears us. He listens to us. He inclines his ear to us. He delivers us. He sustains us. And he helps us stand and walk. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from falling, that I may walk before the Lord. He delivers us. He sustains us. He holds us up by his hand. I read from Psalm 145. The Lord is faithful to all of his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall, for all fall. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts us all who are bowed down. He picks us up. Jesus says the same thing. You turn to the 10th chapter of the book of John, you hear Jesus speaking. Listen to him. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. You hear that? No one can get you out of God's hand. That's why we Baptists believe in security of believer. Not because of our belief, but because of God's promise. Not because of what we believe, but because of the way he's behaved in Christ. My father, Jesus continues to say, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand, and I and the father are one. I mean, God and Jesus in one, in eternity, have got their hand right around you. You are in the hand of God. And nobody, no power on earth, no power in hell below, can snatch you out of God's hand. When I was teaching Mike and Steve and Lisa to walk, which was just a year or two ago, as I recall. <laughs> no. When I was teaching Mike and Steve and Lisa to walk, all grown now and sitting over there and listening, I'd walk along, and if they were holding my hand or just holding on to my little finger, and they stumbled or tripped or something, they, they instinctively turn loose if they're holding on. When they start to fall, and down they go, they'd skin their knees or elbows, hit their chin. Lisa hit her six times, different stitches underneath her chin, six different times. But if I'm holding their hand, and they stumble or trip and start to fall down. What do I do? I hold them. Or they may slip, they may get all the way to their knees, but I hold them. But God says, I will hold you in my hand. I will help you to stand and I will help you to walk. Once you begin to walk on your own, even then you may trip. Even then you may stumble. Well, when Mike and Steve and Lisa are now Avery and Julia and Megan and little Michael, watching Michael with him last night, and he was going along there and he fell down. My first instinct, reached down, pick him up, see if he was hurt. He got up, went on. 
When your child or grandchild first started walking and they stumbled and fell, what'd you do? Did you say, you dumb kid? I am so tired of holding on to you. I'm so tired of teaching you. I'm so tired of talking to you. Now you stand up and walk. I'm not going to have anything to do with you if you keep on stumbling around there. There they are, knees bleeding, elbows bleeding, chin cut. And the father standing there, grandfather standing there, blaming the child. Why do some people make God into a person like that? If God's like that, he ought to be arrested for child abuse. If I, being a selfish, sinful person, can rush to a fallen one and help them up, how much more does the great God of the ages run to whoever has fallen or slipped or tripped or hurt himself? He helps us stand and walk. Well, what can I give a God like that? Oh, I've taken most of my time. So glad the Cowboys don't play till next Sunday. Now, I'll talk briefly about um, what God has done to show his love for us. Let me just close with asking a question or two, and the psalmist will answer it. What can I do to show my love for God? Well, he tells us what he does. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? How can I? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will lift up the gift of salvation and thank God for it. Do you have that gift? Have you received that cup of salvation that he's given to whosoever will? I will lift up that cup, the cup of salvation, and give thanks to the Lord. And he says that he will do it publicly. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all the people. Publicly say, I love him. Publicly say, I trust him. Publicly say, I worship him. Before all the people. He repeats that in the 17th verse. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I need to pause there for a moment and ask myself and ask you a question. Twice he says, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. And he said that twice because he knows he's not always done that. And I suppose all of us in this room, in one degree or another, at one time or another, fall into that same category. Have you ever made a promise to God you didn't keep? When you became a Christian, maybe a year ago, or 30 years ago, or 50 years ago, you made some promises to God about yourself, and about worship, being in Bible study, about reading the Bible, about praying, about witnessing. Did you ever make a promise to God? Maybe at youth camp. Maybe at a retreat somewhere, maybe in a revival crusade. You made a vow to God. You may have put off keeping it for 20 years, but today's the day to start keeping the promise you made to God. 
The Bible says when you vow a vow to God, defer not to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which you have promised. He's talking here about public affirmation of him as your Lord, a public gift to him of your testimony, and an offering to him as an expression of the love he has given to you and the supreme offering he has made to us in his son, Jesus Christ. I will sacrifice. Boy, that's a new word for a lot of American Christians. The whole business of sacrifice is something we, we, we think that's something they did back in the Old Testament. We will sacrifice some time, some energy, some effort, some money. I'll, I'll put my money where my faith is, as well as my mouth. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the court of the house of the Lord, in the church, in the gatherings, in your midst, O Jerusalem, in the city. I will make public my faith in you. I will make a public decision. I will make a public declaration. I will endeavor to live in a public way that brings honor and glory to the name of the Lord my God whom I love. And then he concludes, translated, praise the Lord. That's not what it actually says. That's an English translation of one Hebrew word, Alleluia. Well, Alleluia is really two Hebrew words. The word Alleluia is made up of two Hebrew words. H-A-L-L-E-L-U. That's the English description of it. H-A-L-L-E-L-U. Allelu is a Hebrew imperative verb. And it means praise ye. It's imperative. It's something you do. It's a verb. It's something I do. And we are to do it according to God. Praise ye. That's what hallelujah means. Yah, what is Y-A-H? That's God's name. That's God's name. Yahweh. J-H-W-H, Hebrew has no vowels, only consonants. J-H-V-H, they believe the pronunciation was Yahweh, from which we get Jehovah, from which we get translated Adonai, from which we get Lord. There are a number of names in the Bible that God uses to describe himself. One, for example, in Genesis, in creation, he is Elohim. That's the God of power, the God of creation. The root of that is El, E-L, the name for God. Uh, you go to Israel and you see or uh, visit Bethel, Beth-El. Beth is the Hebrew word for house, El is the word for God. Beth-El, the house of God. The Jewish synagogue here in San Antonio is called Temple what? Bethel, house of God. Okay, God in Genesis is a God creator. Then El Shaddai is another word used for God, and that's the word generally used as the covenant that he made, a covenant-making God, when he made covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. When God makes a covenant with people. But Yahweh, Jehovah, is the name when you describe God as love. As a revealer of grace. 
as a sustainer of life. And that's where the word hallelujah comes from. Praise ye Jehovah. Praise ye the God of love, the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of forgiveness, the God who sustains us. Alleluia. Praise ye. Imperative. The Lord. Personal and loving. My friend said, I'll wait a few months before I take my own life and see if God will keep his promises in my life. He will keep his promises. And if my friend is here hearing me today, I reaffirm that not on my authority, but on the authority of God himself, who is a promise-keeping God. Love the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Would you make public this morning a commitment to him? You may want to come and say, Buckner, I made a vow. You can tell me the specifics and I'll tell them. They won't go any further than, than myself. You don't need to tell me the specifics. If you just want to say, I made some vows to God and I want to keep them. But you don't need to tell me that. If, if it will help you to do that, I want you to do it. But I can't help you keep that vow after you walk out of here. But God will. What's important is you say to the Lord, I love the Lord. I love you, Lord. And I'm going to keep my promise to you and help me keep it. We'll be here to pray for you and encourage you. Hope you pray the same for me. I made some promises to God. I want to keep those promises. Maybe you want to come in the presence of all of these people and say, I want to be a part of these people. I want to lift the cup of salvation in the presence of all the people. I've tasted the grace of God, and I want to be a part of the people of God. Walk down these aisles, that's what people are doing. Or maybe to come to say, I want to be a part of this church, already a Christian, but I want to be a part of the church. I want to be publicly identified with God's people in the presence of all the people. I want to do that. So trust him if you've never done so. Accept his gift of love and the cup of his salvation. It's free. It's full of the water of life. And you drink it and you'll never thirst again. Or to come and rededication of your life. Or to come to move your membership. Maybe you want to just come and pray. Kneel here alone by yourself. Just talk to the Lord and return to your seat. That's fine. That's fine. I love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord of love.